Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 27 of the Roots of Life podcast. If you'd like to know more about the Roots of Life podcast, go to rootsoflifepodcast.com. If you have any inquiries, questions, or have topic ideas, feel free to reach out to us at rootsoflifepodcast at gmail.com. We also have Instagram and Twitter if you'd like to follow us there at Roots of Life podcast at Roots of Life Pod on Twitter. We appreciate you being here and enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 27 of the Roots of Life podcast. I am Taylor. I am one half of the hosts on the Roots of Life podcast, joined by He Only Does Everything, James Fitzgerald. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 27th episode. Today's episode is going to be slightly different than normal. We haven't completely planned everything out. This episode is for Taylor to explain how everything went in his Vipassana retreat. If you've been following us and listening to our podcast, you'll know that Taylor went on a 10-day Vipassana retreat and was not here to do any episodes. So we, our last two episodes were episodes that we had recorded previously with some friends, um, one with Imtiaz Taj, talking about his journey through life, how he came from Pakistan, um, immigrated to the United States, and then immigrated to Canada as well. And another one with our friend John that came out last week, uh, where Taylor and him have a lengthy conversation. So today... Taylor, yeah, how yeah. was your Vipassana retreat? It was good. It, I, I have a pickle with the word retreat because oh, okay. it's definitely, well, I mean, this is just me like kind of yeah. being silly, but it's not like you're going there for a vacation. And when I hear the word retreat, like that's what I think about. I think yeah, I relate retreat fair. to vacation. Like, you know, when you go to a retreat in Mexico you kind of retreat from life. Yes. You, yeah. So this is sort of a retreat from life, I guess. But at the same time, you're there to focus and to do a lot of hard work. Mm, that's not... That, honestly, that's not how I envisioned it. So I would love to hear more. Okay. Well, so first of all, it's 10 days. And it's this is a course taught by... A man, S.N. Goenka, who is now passed away, but he is credited with kind of bringing the Vipassana meditation technique to Western civilization from India and Burma back in the early 1900s. Okay. So, like... I'm sorry, what was his name again? S. I don't know his first name. His first okay. initials are S and N, and okay. then his last name is Goenka. S.N. Goenka. Yeah, it's like G-O-E-N-K-A. It's a very fascinating gentleman. He's actually so comical. There's So there was what they call a discourse, and it was at the end of every day, you would watch an hour video in the meditation hall with everybody, and it was basically him talking, giving you like, he would do, I don't know, summarize the day and what you learned that day and some of the philosophies behind it and everything that kind of surrounds what you were learning that day and man is he ever funny he just <laughs> like old man jokes you know because he, yeah. he he was he was quite old i think 
when those videos were recorded in 1991, they, he was probably 70 or 80 years old. Oh, wow. So yeah, but he, yeah, he, he just had really funny jokes and in his kind of, um, Indian accent and his old man jokes, they were, they were actually really entertaining to listen to. And he was really entertaining to listen to. And I actually really enjoyed that part of the course, sitting there listening to him talk and kind of giving you more background as into like why things are the way they are. Because yeah, one of the parts of the whole experience is silent meditation, keyword silent. So not just when you're meditating, but for the entire 10 days. So there's no talking. You take a vow of noble silence and there's other, there's a lot of words that they use and I, I can't remember a few, a few of them. So there's multiple things that go into the vow of silence, which yeah. is, um, there's obviously you don't talk. You're allowed to talk to the manager. There's a manager for the men and a manager for the women. And you mm-hmm. converse with them if you have any, uh, it would be problems, I guess, in the material world. Like if you needed a blanket or if you needed a certain whatever. I don't know if there was no toilet paper in the bathroom or anything mm-hmm. of that nature. That's like a material thing. You would talk to the manager. And then there's certain times of the day when you get to go talk to the teacher And that would be like the interview process where you would get to talk to them and ask them questions about the technique. If you didn't understand something, if you felt like you were falling behind, because every day is something new, they're expanding on the technique on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not following what happened the day before, or you feel like you're getting caught behind, then you can go converse with them and see if that, you know, maybe you're just, your tech, your, um, where you're falling in terms of like what your Vipassana meditation is looking like at that moment, it might be okay to be like not understanding at that point yeah. because you're, you just might not be at the same spot in your practice as somebody else. So that's okay at times, but you just, you get an opportunity to ask them questions if you need to. So it sounds like it's structured more like an, like an actual course than, than your own kind of like meditation, go and do that. Yeah, 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 there is definitely okay. a structure to it. And mm. it's very so I mean basically I was waking up at four AM every day. Okay. Which that's, for that's anybody that, which for anybody that knows me is beyond heard of me getting up at four AM. <laughs> I was concerned going there that I was not gonna be able to get up at four AM every day and that I was just gonna fall behind and that I was gonna sleep too much and da da da. But first day just like got up did it and then it was surprisingly easy after that you are going to bed at 9 a.m that's like oh, night 9 a.m no 9 p.m sorry okay. yeah i was like 9 a.m that's a bit early <laughs> yeah no nine... you're up for five hours yeah that's it <laughs> so you go you wake up before meditate from 4 30 to 6 30 eat from 6 30 to 8 meditate from 8 to 11 oh my god eat from 11 to 12 now, this is lunch, 11 from 12, but yeah. lunch is really dinner in kind of how you think of it. Like, it's not a sandwich or anything. Yeah. It's a full-blown meal, and it's your last meal. Oh, wow. At 11 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then you get... So you just, like, 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's extreme. I mean, it seems weird, but I feel like it makes sense though, because I feel like by the end you'd be like, okay, I don't need any more calories for my sleep. So yeah, and then you get a tea break at five p.m. and then if you can have some fruit. Okay. And so because like you eat an hour and a half after you get up, and then you eat again at eleven, and then you get fruit at five. So then the fruit kind of holds you over until nine o'clock and then yeah. you just kind of go to bed. And it makes sense because you eat at 630 when the sun comes up, like you eat, you know, it kind of yeah. goes in. They don't uh, reference the circadian clock and rhythm, but that's what I related to. And just with intermittent fasting, right? Because really you're only eating five hours out of the day. If you don't uh, have the fruit in the evening, then yeah. you're only eating between 630 and 1130, really. And so you're eating five hours of the day and you're intermittent fasting for 19 hours yeah. of the day. And then your last meal, like you're eating when the sun comes up and then you're not eating when the sun's down. So that was how I looked at it anyways. I don't think that they That's would. That's how I thought of it when you started explaining it too. Yeah. That might be why they were doing it. Yeah. I don't think it necessarily is how, why they do it, but. I'm sure they like that was the thing is they explain to you that they have their reasons for doing everything. Mm-hmm. And there's people who decided to like, d- like not oblige by a lot of those. You know, I had roommates who were writing, you know, they had pens mm. and one guy, man, craziest thing though. One of my roommates, there was three, four of us in a room. Oh, and, okay. Wow. Yeah. And the one guy had insane night terrors. Not even nightmares, night terrors. So like he was like up screaming in the middle of the night or? Exactly. Yeah. He would be laying there and all of a sudden like he'd be screaming at the top of his lungs. Yeah. I've, I know a few people that have had those and they're crazy. They tell like it was in class a couple of times. They, they would talk about their night terrors and what they go through. And it's, it sounds ridiculous. Like you actually just like scream and like it's like real life. You're feel like you're being murdered kind of thing like some of these dreams it's just crazy yeah and this guy he he liked to write as well like he was a, a drawer and so he had a like a little sketchbook mm-hmm. i kind of looked at him and just thought to myself do you know you're not supposed to be doing this or do you not care that was one of the things that was weird and another guy was writing as well i didn't know if they just didn't care or if they didn't know that that was part of the vow of silence Hmm. Did they yeah. like outline that at the beginning though? They do, uh, but it'd be pretty easy to kind of miss it. Yeah, like okay. it's in the application and, and it's in, I think in some of the pamphlets that you can get and everything. But if you, I could easily see somebody not wanting to read all of that mm-hmm. information and then just skipping yeah. through it and then, you know, just kind of not obliging by it. Yeah. Yeah. And so they have some other things as well. They call them the five precepts and you have to oblige by them when you're there. And then they suggest that you implement them into your life and into your life. I was going to say lives, I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But so the five precepts are no killing. Okay. Which like animals, bugs, everything, you know, like you're not conducive to killing which kind of goes under the uh which 
is why they have vegetarian meals because they don't believe in killing animals. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of falls into that category. There's no lying, no stealing. Okay. So far, I like these. Yeah. They're pretty straightforward and like, yeah. Unless you're a piece of shit, they're pretty easy to oblige <laughs> yeah. by. So far, that's not too hard. No. And then, what are the other ones? No sexual misconduct. And so, by that, they mean, we, we actually had a conversation on this because on day 10, our vow of silence is broken. And so, we have the mm-hmm. last half of the last day to actually communicate and like talk to everyone. And I got to talk to the guys who I shared the room with and the men and women are segregated. Like we don't even have like our residential quarters are separate. Yeah. And so, but they say no sex, which is basically like, even with yourself, you can't masturbate. I mean, there's four people in a room. That's just common courtesy. (laughs) Sure. I don't have that kind of courtesy, but you're like, I jerked off every day. (laughs) I wanted to, man. There was days where I was like, damn it. Like I'm really like thinking about it, but then you just have to kind of shut it off. And, but, uh, one of the guys said that he asked the, a teacher about it. And the teacher said that one of the phrases that they use is may all beings be happy. And it's really, Mm -hmm. uh, outside of the technique is that, Bringing balance into your own life is one of the purposes of meditating. And over time, you learn to have love and compassion for other people. And so they say that sexual misconduct, obviously, um, sexual assault, you know, rape, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. And then there's also the idea that you have one monogamous partner because... Not because of the fact that they think sleeping with other people is wrong or immoral, but the idea is that when more than two people get involved into that kind of situation, there's, you know, too much drama, there's too much ego, and then you're likely bringing unwanted attention into unwanted part of your life, and and it promotes imbalance. I mean, it's shown, if you really think about it, when has there ever been... I mean, yes, we've talked about polyamory before but it's not a practice that gets implemented very successfully on like the majority basis yeah yeah. and so usually if you don't have more than one partner someone's getting hurt and that goes against the practice of showing love and compassion to all your fellow humans and to all other living beings that's fair okay yeah and then i can't remember the fourth one or the fifth one no lying no stealing no killing no sexual misconduct. Huh. I can't remember. But there's a fifth one. Okay. Yeah. Love everything. Love all. Yeah, something <laughs> like that probably. <laughs> it's good though. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit more about the meditation side of it. Because this was the stuff that kind of really stuck with me. And it was actually quite fascinating mm-hmm. the way that it got explained to me. And so I'm just going to kind of get into some interesting stuff here. So the first three days you learn what is Anapana breathing. It's okay. a form of a breathing technique where you start by observing the from like the top of your nasal cavity down to say the upper lip area and you yeah. observe the breathing. And as you breathe through your nose, you'll feel the air like hit your nostril and you'll feel the air hit your mm-hmm. lip. 
That's how I start all my meditation. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. on day two, they get you to decrease that size that you're observing down okay. to like the tip of your nostril and the upper lip. And then on mm-hmm. day three, they get you to decrease the size again to just your upper lip. And then what they do is they get you to stop focusing on the breathing and you'll observe, you'll observe the upper lip just above the upper lip, I guess. And you'll notice these little sensations on your body. And then on day four, you learn Vipassana, the actual Vipassana technique. And what you do is you start scanning your body. And because you've like sharpened your mind to focus on this little area above your lip, and then you'll start noticing these sensations is that we have these sensations on every part of our body all the time, Mm -hmm. 24 seven. And so you can like breathe and focus on your arm and you'll feel like all these different little pains and tingles and warmth and cold and anything that you feel on the physical level is considered a sensation. That sounds And so the idea is that the universe is always changing. The, there is no solid matter in our world. Everything that we have, everything that we can touch, everything is made up of molecules and atoms that move trillions of times per second. Mm-hmm. So everything is always moving. Everything is always changing. And so when you learn to observe these sensations, so when you look at your body in that same way as we are a part of this, the matter, then these sensations are always changing. And so when you learn to observe these changes on your body, you're beginning to connect the the mind and matter the physical and the mental you're breaking down that wall and what happens is through the meditation you have what is called sankaras and sankaras are basically i guess I don't know. I don't know how to explain a sankara. It's like the idea, you know, how you how we store stress and we store emotions okay, yeah. inside yeah. of us. So it's like every experience uh, generates a sankara and then it goes inside you. And so like day one of Vipassana, I was nearly in tears. It oh, I wow. was I was like crying almost. I, I felt it like welling up inside me because you you have to try and they have what they call the sitting of strong determination. And it's just the idea of that it's an hour long. You have to get a comfortable position and then not move. Right. Because when something happens, like if you sit in one spot for long enough and then, you know, your back hurts or whatever, mm-hmm. then you're, you're automatic. You've trained your mind from the time you were a kid to, to, react to it in terms of like stretch out your back and ease the pain right so you get a comfortable position and then you sit there for the entire hour without moving and what this does is what happens is as you focus on your body these sankaras will come up and they manifest themselves in a physical way and so it's basically like you're generating these old emotions and you're so for me, like I have a, like I had a lot of shoulder in my hip and down my side and then in mm-hmm. my shoulder as well. And I was just, I wanted to move, right? You just want to move and you want to ease the pain so bad, but you fight through it. And then what happens is 
by not moving, you're changing the habit pattern of your mind. Mm-hmm. You're telling your mind that it's okay. This is, and you have to learn to be, they say, equanimous, which is basically just peaceful, like balanced with the sensation. The painful sensations, they're not painful, they're just sensations. Yeah. The good feelings aren't good feelings, they're just sensations. Warmth isn't warm, it's just a sensation. They're all just one thing. And when you can when you can disconnect the um, the mental from the physical, being that this isn't a pain, like eventually I learned that I could sit there for an hour, no problem. And yes, I would feel the pain in my leg, but it didn't bother me because I was able to like differentiate the fact that it was wasn't a pain it was just Just this feeling feeling that i had and i had learned that it'll pass because everything in the universe changes these sensations change constantly on our body and as you Mm -hmm. learn to observe them you'll notice that they just never stay and what happens is these sankaras they'll come up they'll reside because they go away and then next time they come up, but they're maybe just not as strong this time around. They're just a little bit weaker because you've taken the power away from them by disconnecting mm-hmm. the, the relationship that you have with them. And so, okay. and then eventually they just don't come back. Huh? Yeah. It's, wow. it's this like really fascinating, uh, idea. And can it, you explain a little bit more like the Sankaras and like what, what it, what it is when they come up? Is it just like your, your, re-feeling like the emotions of an, a past event or so this is where i got this is where my expectation and my actual experience um kind of differentiated was i thought that through meditation i would be meditating and that emotional things would come up from my past different emotions different experiences and then through meditation i would be able to work through those yeah in a mental way Uh, but what happens is these these emotions they don't they manifest themselves in a physical way you develop these pains and these different sensations and that's what the sankaras are and then what happens is you start getting rid of these sankaras because they're old traumas and they're old emotions but so you you actually feel like a physical pain somewhere and that's part of the the that's meditation you, where you're sitting there and you know you don't you just ignore it kind of thing yeah yeah and then it goes okay yeah and so, so that's how you kind of end up working through all of that shit and sometimes right you have to allow yourself to think those things like i would at one point i had a thought and i was thinking about you know old friends and old colleagues and old people that i knew but then when you bring yourself back right because mm-hmm. what happens is when something stresses you out when something you know, makes you emotional, your body reacts in a certain way. And so what would happen Mm -hmm. is you would think of something and then you would bring yourself back to your breathing. But because you had mentally thought of it, now your body's reacting to that old Mm -hmm. emotion. And then it manifests itself physically within your body. And then you start to work through that. And then that kind of disappears. And then you become at peace with and balanced with uh, with your old traumas and your old experiences. Okay. Yeah. That sounds that sounds interesting. Like a little bit difficult to comprehend in a way, but also like pretty straightforward. Yeah. It once it's one of those things. It's hard. Like I'm 
kind of impressed with myself at the moment being able to get it out like that. Yeah. But it's it would be hard to understand until you've actually gone through the experience. Once you go yeah. through the experience, you would understand kind of the process and how everything works together. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I've honestly I've been sitting here just thinking like, man, I kind of want to try all this stuff. You, you <laughs> got to, like, man. Just I, I just want to like sit down for an hour when we're done and just not do anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard and your first inclination will be to move you, oh i know within I've, five minutes I, just... all of my meditations i think the longest one i've ever had was half an hour and i'm and i moved during it yeah like, i know i have so they're actually building a center on vancouver island oh really yeah i think it's in the cowichan area oh cool so you could go to that yeah. I, don't think it, I don't think it's gonna be uh, operational now for a few more years probably Oh, that's so, fine. The cool thing with the organization is that it's a non-for-profit volunteer organization. So everybody who works there is strictly on a volunteer basis. Nobody gets paid. The teachers oh, wow. who are there for 10 days, the cooks who are there for 10 days, the managers, none of them get paid. Everybody just does it out of the goodness of their hearts. Really? Yeah. That's actually, it's impressive they, they can get like a full crew together for that that amount of time like just volunteers yeah well again going back to the whole idea of you know you begin to show love and compassion for everyone is Mm -hmm. they kind of talk like so at the end of the course you can give a donation and that's how they stay operational the idea is that somebody paid for me to be there because i didn't pay yet and now they discovered the benefits of dhamma which is it's like the kind pay of it forward the kind of over thing? well dama is like oh. the overall yeah. organization i don't know it's i guess the lifestyle that mm-hmm. the vipassana meditation technique um promotes i guess in a way i should i had like a big list of words and what they meant that they used a lot but i, didn't, I don't have it on me unfortunately but yeah so after the course after you've done a 10-day course you can offer you can give a donation and the idea is yeah you're paying it forward you're experiencing the benefits of dhamma and now you're getting giving them the opportunity to give that experience to someone else to help Mm -hmm. somebody else experience dhamma and so they talk about it where they say that a big part of developing that love and compassion for other people is giving and you know whether that's giving your time giving your money you know they say you know, giving your time will always be, you'll, you'll receive more inwards. Like you'll receive more for yourself if you give your time mm-hmm. than if you give your money, because you'll get that, you'll get that uh, feeling from giving money, but it, it disappears a lot quicker. Yeah. But when you learn to do that, if you say give five days of your time or eight hours of your time, you're getting that benefit that entire time, as opposed to that short amount of time that you're going to get from the feeling of donating money, which is like an instantaneous kind of transaction. Hmm. So a lot of the people are just people who have been there and have experienced the course. And then they just notice all the benefits that it brings into their lives. And they just like feel obliged to give back. They just want to help and they want other people to experience the same thing that they have. Yeah. Is that something you could see yourself doing is going back to volunteer? Maybe. I've definitely thought of volunteering already since I got back. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I just got a few other things for those who don't know. This should have been a plug at the beginning, actually. Definitely should have. Um, I am doing a half marathon in at the end of June, and so like right now, I'm starting to train for that, and I'm fundraising money for Music Heals, which is a non for profit organization here in Canada. They give money to music therapy programs who help people with um, terminal illnesses and kids with, you know, mental illnesses and just things of all nature. Cause I actually know the founder, he's my teacher. And, <laughs> and so I, yeah. And so I've been kind of um, trying to give my time and some money in that way at the moment and then i'm also they have a program as well where you can donate old ipods and then they take those ipods and they use them in their music therapy pro they give those ipods to music therapy programs as well and Mm -hmm. then those programs those music therapy programs will use the ipods to within the therapy i guess you know for whatever the practice is play yeah playing music and whatever the practice is and so i'm also like i'm gonna give my old iphone because i have an iphone 5s that has sat in my dresser for a year because i was like oh i'll use it as a backup phone if my phone fails or if i lose my phone but i know that's never gonna happen or even if it does then it's not the end of the world i have the means to replace it and so Mm -hmm. why not give it forward to someone else who can use it and make more benefit of it and so i'm doing I'm starting to try and develop that and it comes pretty naturally. Like you don't like, I'm, I say that I'm trying to do these things, but it's, it's not even trying. It's just, you just do it. Yeah. It just happens. It just becomes like a part of who you are and a part of the way you think. And it's, so yeah, I'm, you know, doing these things. And so I'm starting to, I guess, develop that in my own ways in the moment. I might go back and volunteer one day. I think, if I did go back, I would want to sit another course. They call it sitting and serving. Serving is when you're there volunteering. Sitting yeah. is when you go and you do the course. And so I think if I was to go back, I would want to sit another course. But and then, yeah, and then maybe. But like for me, it's it's hard to take ten days off work, right? It's yeah, it, it's, it is. Yeah, I get that. That's... Yeah, a lot of the people up there are people who aren't householders. You know, they don't. Yeah they just travel and they just, you know, well, cool. Like I have the opportunity, I'll stay here and I'll stay here for six months. And, you know, some people do that where they do like six months and then they'll serve two courses and then they'll sit one course and then they'll serve two courses and they'll sit one course. Mm. Right. So there's people who do that and all the power to you. It's a great thing. I think, you know, just, yeah, I've noticed a lot of uh, changes and benefits in my short few days back in Vancouver and even my first day out of the meditation center. It was just... Yeah, what this, happened that day? You told me that was a crazy adventure. Yeah, so uh, as nobody knows, I was supposed to go to Kamloops and meet with Jimmy because yeah. uh, where I was is only about an hour outside of Kamloops. Yeah, not that far. Yeah, and so it turned into this whole thing. And so one of the gentlemen asked me for a ride to Kamloops. And I was said, sure, that's not a problem going that way. 
And then he told me he was going to the Buddhist monastery. And I, was, and I didn't know where that was. So we looked it up and realized it's outside of Kamloops on the 5A. Yeah, it's far. Yeah. Well, there's two. I think there's one more in Kamloops. Um, I think there might be one in Kamloops. There is one in Kamloops that I know of. Right. Is it? Was he going to the one that's like the the one in the forest? It's yeah. Ro- that's the one. Roche Lake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was out by Roche Lake actually that day. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> that's where I was. <laughs> that's where I was. <laughs> I went out there. Okay. This is the whole story. <laughs> so funny. So we drove the five A, intending for me to drop him off there not realizing it was like 30 kilometers into the bush, but mm-hmm. had no service, missed the turnoff, ended up in Kamloops, was like, oh shit, like we're in Kamloops. So then we we devised a plan where I went and dropped him off downtown at the park, and he doesn't have a phone. He's one of those gentlemen. He's from Santa Monica and just travels in a just backpack travels and has back. a tent and just does his thing. And so we had devised a plan. I was like, well, if you want, I'll drop you off at the park. I'll go and... Because at this point in my head, I was going to come see you for the afternoon. I wasn't going to stay because yeah. I was like wanting to get home. And so I was like, I'll go have lunch with my friend or whatever. You know, I'll probably hang out with him for a few hours and then I'll come back and I'll pick you up and I'll take you to the Buddhist monastery on my way back to Vancouver. Yeah. And so drop him off downtown, drive all the way back up to your place, like go there, knock, like see your car there and I'm knocking on your door. Yeah. And... I can see that, like, nobody's home. I thought maybe you were sleeping because your car was there. Called your phone and there's just no service no on your service. phone. No service. Nothing, yeah. <laughs> and so eventually I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'm going. Like, I have no... I tried getting a hold of your yeah, girlfriend. You, you said, and, yeah, she sent me... Uh, told me yesterday. She's like, oh, I have a text from Taylor. She's like, and I think I missed calls. And I was like, oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so I had exhausted all my means and yeah. tried and then eventually was like well i gotta get back to vancouver eventually so i'm just gonna say screw it and go home and then went down to the park to get mark was the fellow's name and he was not there but i had his <laughs> backpack so i couldn't even leave just leave <laughs> yeah and so ended up going to the save on like I, I figured i'd go get some food from save on yeah and then maybe walk back and this had started happening multiple times and it's actually really incredible because it makes you realize the power of your own mind is i was manifesting a lot of things with my thoughts okay which sounds really crazy but it, it uh, does but, until you explain it i'm sure yeah and i'm sure some of it is totally chance but it doesn't feel like it when when you keep thinking things and then it just happens. Mm -hmm. And so first example of me doing it is when I, after day four of the Vipassana, I could not sleep. Like I'm the type of person I hit the pillow. I'm out cold eight hours. Boom. No problem. Day four from day 10. Couldn't get to sleep for like three hours every night. Oh, wow. And so I would just lay there in bed and I don't know what it was, but I figured it was like just energy moving around in my body and my brain being all over the place. It just couldn't, it didn't work. And so on the second or third night, I remember laying there and it was like two and a half hours and I was awake and everybody else was asleep. And the one moment I was like, 
I bet Jordan's going to start start snoring. And within three seconds of me thinking it, boom. <laughs> I was like, no way. Like, I totally, like, called it, like, within <laughs> a couple seconds. And that was in, like, a two and a half hour, three hour span. And so the other time was I walked to the Save-On. And I got some food and and then I walked outside and I was going to start walking back to my car. And then all of a sudden I was like, hmm, Mark hasn't eaten. I was like, I wonder if he'll like maybe be around here and I'll see him and he'll like because maybe he'll be getting food or something. Yeah. And then within like five seconds, all of a sudden, terror. And I like turn around and there he is. And I was <laughs> like, holy shit. Like, no way. Like, I keep doing this. Like, I kept thinking things and then they would happen. And when you realize that you have that kind of power, the more balanced you become with like this universal energy that we all like surround ourselves with, it just like I love it. It feels really the, liberating and like the very only question I have though, yes, is do you think that you're manifesting these things or you're tapping into something where you can kind of see or predict the future? Mm, that's a great question. I don't know. I mean, is that kind of not the same thing, but just a different perspective, I guess? I guess kind of, yeah. I mean, like manifesting, it would be like, I thought of it and that is why it became became so. Whereas like you tapped into something where you could see it and it was already going to happen. Mm, so it's maybe. like... I don't know, because John had told me about Ben's experience, which is one of John's friends who has done mm. Vipassana many times. And... You yeah, know, I think he, he was in there for like 40 days the last time. Something I, I met like him when that. he was here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Ben's a really cool guy. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah. Um, but John had told me about when Ben had bought a girl a car because she needed, like, her car broke down and couldn't get it fixed. And so yeah. he had the means and literally bought her a car out of, like, the goodness of his heart because that's what Vipassana teaches you. And, like, you just become so detached from all these, like, material objects and everything that it just doesn't matter. And, like, doing something for someone just is that much more important. Yeah. And it was something about a couple days after, a week after he had done this, somebody gave him a free car. Huh. And so I don't think I don't see that as predicting the future. I yeah. see that as the universe giving back to you. As yeah, that you one's like something. That one's completely different in that situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so yeah, I don't know. I think that it's like an answer and call effect. You give something mm -hmm. to the universe and it's going to give you something back. It may not always be what you want or what you think or what you desire, but it's yeah. I don't know. It's what you need in that moment, I guess. And so, uh, anyways, me and Mark go to my car. We start driving. And then we eventually get back to this Buddhist monastery. Like, we get to Roche Lake Road. And I didn't realize that it was up way out in this bush. Mm -hmm. And we... It was just like such so many great conversations and it was like being a child, man. It was like being released out into the world and just having like this new appreciation for everything. And we had this like certain level of euphoria where it kind of made me think of uh, 
certain psychedelic experiences where everything was just really euphoric and uh, colors were like just had this like mm-hmm. extra layer of depth to them. And it was just like really fascinating and mind blowing. And so eventually we get we're just going down these like dirt roads and everything going out to, to the Buddhist monastery. And as soon as we turn off the dirt road, like onto like, this is the Buddhist monastery land. I felt yeah. their presence like <laughs> in the car. There's a disturbance in the force. Yeah, man. It was, I, <laughs> uh, I felt it. And I asked Mark, I said to him, I was like, I'm nervous do you feel that? He was like, yeah, I feel that. Like I, I can tell that there's this energy that's surrounding this area that we've, uh, brought ourselves into and Mm -hmm. which was just like, so interesting to have this like synonymous feeling with someone and being able to connect on that level. And then eventually we got to the place and, I asked him if he wanted me to wait to see, cause he didn't even know, like he had no idea if he was allowed to stay. He had no yeah. reservation with them. He had never contacted anybody there before, had no idea what he was getting into. And so he showed up, he showed up and then all of a sudden he, so he went inside and I waited for him and then he was going to come out and tell me if he was staying or if he needed a ride back to like the highway kind of thing. Yeah. And he said he went in and like, there was nobody there. And then so he like went into the back and then there was like this like stairway and he could like hear people talking and it was dark. It was like this dark, narrow staircase and he went down the stairs and all of a sudden he like walked in and there was these people talking and he said hi to them. And then they were super shocked because they weren't expecting anybody to show up today. Yeah. And he explained the whole journey to them and they like, said how it's against their rules to accept anybody without a reservation but they were so impressed with his journey out there and his attempt to like make it there that they like Mm -hmm. managed to let him stay oh wow yeah and then he basically came out and like i had this big goodbye with this friend that i had like just just met but like went on this giant journey with out in the city and like these it just felt like a bird, like just learning to fly again and just exploring. Yeah. And it was just really fascinating. And then I got to go drive back to Vancouver for like four hours and just kind of meditate and observe meditate the world. Yeah. And it was beautiful. Yeah. It was a really, really amazing experience. Yeah. So my, my side of, of what happened that day, Cause I knew Taylor was going to be here, but I thought he was going to be here in the afternoon. So I was like, okay, I can go camping, be home by noon. And then I got, I get out of the Roche Lake area, which is exactly where he went, strangely enough. Um, and I had no idea where I was going because we went with some friends and they just like loaded us up in the truck and drove. Um, but then we came, I, I just get back into cell service and I saw that I had like missed calls texts facebook messages like everything from taylor any way he could contact me i think there was even a snapchat just like everything and i was like oh shit so i started to message him and he's like oh i've already left i was like okay well we'll talk we'll talk later but it was just super funny that he that's actually where you went to yeah man that was a hell of a day and i'm just so grateful for the experience you're saying though that there was like um like a 
a presence or like a, a feeling of energy when you went to the Buddhist temple? Yeah, man. I, I didn't, I can't define it as anything good or bad. Like it was Any, just, yeah. it was a balanced energy that I was able hmm. to like connect with. Um, That's cool. Yeah. I was just, I, know. I was just able to recognize it. Wow. Yeah. I know um, a friend of mine previously had mentioned that Kamloops is actually um, home to the center of the universe. Um, <laughs> it sounds really weird. And honestly, like when I heard it, I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. This is baloney. I actually researched it and there are um, people that actually believe that it's not actually in Kamloops. It's just outside. Um, and it's, it's farmland actually owned by some ranchers, but some, I think some Buddhist monks, like so many years ago came, came and found it. And, uh, as, as like, that was their goal was to search for the center of the universe and they found it and it ends up it's on this farmland in Kamloops and because the ranchers still own it and they know that it's this like big holy place, they charge twenty dollars to go there. No way. <laughs> yeah, no, they actually do. That's so um, funny. That's when John came down, yeah, when John came down, he's like, "Yeah, we're gonna, tr- we might try and go there." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm not coming. It's twenty bucks." He's like, "We just thought we might like try and see if they'll trade some like labor or something for it." And I was like, "Maybe." I was like, "I don't see it happening. They they've done this for like a reason, like, but go yeah, for it." They don't they don't want labor. They want they want money. Yeah, they're like, we don't need the labor. We just want you weird hippies to pay us money to be on our land. <laughs> that's, but no, it's like it's really cool that that's actually somewhere on Earth. People think that's like the center of the universe. Apparently, it's like a really like spiritual place, though. And many people that go there feel that they can actually feel like a presence and a vibration, a different energy. It makes me think of like that. It's some some like fluctuation within like the earth's electromagnetism i always relate all of these like energy things to like some kind of physics yeah they i mean that was one of the cool parts about vipassana was that for everything that seemed super weird and crazy like they had a scientific reason kind of to back it okay like whether it be really scientific or just like kind of an idea that was really mm-hmm. easy to relate to. Yeah. So it didn't make everything seem super far fetched, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why I was able to kind of, you know, break it down into certain things like to be able to tell it to everyone is just because like there's, they communicated it to me in such a way that made it relatable and made it that it's not just like, you're believing in this ultimate thing that's like a god or whatever this like yeah. ultimate being that you've never seen or heard of or whatever you know it was instead very you much... can kind of like integrate it directly into your life as it stands exactly cool. so yeah it was really cool jimmy i have a question for you yeah what tickles your fancy Oh, I was going to try and get you first. Oh, oh. no dice. <laughs> no dice. So you, yeah, this episode. <laughs> that was going to be is, my next question. This episode's different because we didn't plan anything. I just no. talked a lot. Yeah, I really I really wanted to hear about your experience. So I'm I'm, I'm really happy that you did it. I had tried to like talk to um, John and Ben about it a little bit, but they were they were kind of talking about something else. They were on a different train of thought at the time so i didn't really learn too much about the vipassana with them 
um, we just talked about different like Eastern religions and things that I learned when I was in university and stuff like that, which was really cool. It was, we had a great conversation when we went for a hike, but I'm really excited to hear like the, I got to hear more about how Vipassana went and how you experienced it. So thank you for sharing. But, uh, my tickled fancy for today, Starbucks recently came out with a new Frappuccino and that shit tickles my fancy. It's, it's the, uh, I know, I know I shouldn't be saying Starbucks, but I'm so you know, disappointed. In I you. know, I know, but it's this like midnight mint mocha Frappuccino and it is so good. Damn, it's that sounds really good. Chocolate mint mocha deliciousness and I can't get enough. Mm. I know it's, it's not the best thing for me to be having or for me to be plugging here, but Hey, it's delicious. I mean, what tickles your fancy is really about even the small pleasures in life. It really is. Whether, you know, healthy for you or unhealthy for you. There's a lot of things in this world that are unhealthy. You just gotta be okay with it at times. Yeah. You just gotta, you just gotta moderate. You just can't have it every day. Absolutely. Yeah. So Taylor, what tickles your fancy? Water. Water. Yes. I like water. (laughs) I love how you went like uber healthy on me there. Thanks. (laughs) Makes me look great. (laughs) I like the one life sustaining thing that we really need in life. (laughs) Water. Thank you everybody for joining us here today on the Roots of Life podcast. I am going to share a link in the description if you would like to know more about Vipassana meditation or you would like to if you would even like to ask me any questions about mm-hmm. doing a 10-day course, feel free to reach out to me and I can point you in the direction. There are uh, centers all over the world, everywhere. So even if you think there's one not near you, there's probably one at least a couple hours from your house or wherever you live. So the, Somewhere close by. Yeah, I had to go It's about two and a half hours from where I live. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's only growing more and more in Western world. So if you live in the West, then you're probably going to be able to find one. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for sharing your adventure and the fun things that you learned while you were in Vipassana. Um, can you also add a link for your marathon and where people can donate if they would like to? Oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Thank you for reminding me. You're welcome. Me. I would just like everybody to check it out at least and see what Music Heals is all about so we can spread the word. So Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on episode 27 of the Roots of Life podcast. My name is Taylor. His name is James. We are the Roots of Life. Stay tuned for episode 28, which will come <laughs> soon. And the May exclusive will be dropping Around the time you hear this, I guess. Yeah, probably pretty close. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Oh, thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Stay weird.